stand and listen for the word of the Lord. Direct your attention to the new response for you all after the scripture that we're using for Lent. This from Luke, chapter 13. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and, I, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The Gospel of Jesus Christ. I find it amazing that something that was relevant in Jesus' day some 2,000 plus years ago is still just as current today. In this text, people are struggling with observing people killed unexpectedly or randomly, and they're trying to make meaning out of that. There's two stories here of that. The first one, where Pilate has gone in apparently and killed some Jewish folks while they are worshiping, that is, mingling their blood with the sacrificial blood. And then Jesus mentions another experience that apparently they all know about where this tower has fallen. It doesn't say whether it's faulty construction or some kind of earthquake or natural disaster that causes this, but people have perished because the tower fell on them. Two stories dealing with random death from so long ago. At any rate, we still struggle with those same issues in regard to random death in our time. Unfortunately, the examples are way too numerous. Day after day, week after week, we hear reports from the Middle East about people dying, about sometimes whole villages being massacred or a town being bombed, countless deaths incurred. Or the fallout from some of those conflicts in places like Paris or San Bernardino where people are gunned down. It seems so random. Certainly it's unexpected. Or maybe you read about the Category 5 level storm that swept across the islands of Fiji last weekend. Several people dying. Or did you see the story where the airliner in Nepal went down on Wednesday 
23 people on board, all presumed dead in the crash. Or last Saturday night, when a fellow in Kalamazoo, Michigan, driving around, began to shoot people, kill people, all around town over the course of several hours. People that he apparently did not even know for no apparent reason. Some standing here killed, others standing here still alive. Or even closer to home last Thursday night, a disgruntled employee closer to home just in Kansas who takes automatic weapon and begins to shoot some fellow co-workers to death. All of us from time to time have wondered why. How did it happen that way? Why that way? Why these people and not these others? Can we make a connection in any way that brings meaning? Some people try to connect these random deaths sometimes with the person's sin. Unfortunately, some Christian spokespersons speak out sometimes and say, oh, I know why that disaster happened or why that group has been killed. It's because of their lifestyle or their sin. But Jesus disagrees with that kind of connection-making between someone's life or sin and their death. He seems to be saying to me in this passage that we can make no meaningful connections in that kind of way. Some people come to him. Here we are in the 13th chapter of Luke, the very beginning of the chapter, and tell him what Pilate has done. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? But it's a rhetorical question. He goes right on to answer, No, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. And then in verse 4, he offers them another example. These 18 who were killed when a tower fell on them. And then he asks again, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? Again, he gives his answers, No, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Jesus seems to be saying you cannot make that kind of connection in any meaningful way. And yet I find this a little bit confusing, confusing and a difficult passage because the people are asking one theological question with a focus on others, yet Jesus points to a different theological question with a focus on oneself. The people come wanting to talk about somebody else's sin. Let's talk about their sin. Jesus says, wrong focus. You're asking the wrong question. The best focus is not on the sin of others. The best focus is on your sin. Did you hear it? He said it two times. Unless you repent, unless you repent they're asking about someone else he's saying think about yourself think about your own life focus there and then it says without further discussion 
Jesus tells them a parable. It begins in verse 6. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So the parable, in response to these questions about death, is about something dying. A fig tree, apparently, is about to die. It's going to be cut down, in a sense, kind of randomly or unexpectedly but then how do we make sense of this so many of jesus stories or parables don't give us all the clues to know exactly who the characters represent and so often in the parables we have to read over and over and kind of ponder and pray about what is jesus saying here so i was looking at the text this week i thought well the the man who planted the tree the man coming into the vineyard could be god And God is coming into the vineyard to see the people, the fig tree, maybe us, and does not see spiritual fruit, does not see what God expects in terms of growth on our part, gets frustrated, says, I've been coming for three years, let's waste this one, let's waste no more soil, let's cut it down. But perhaps Jesus is the gardener interceding on our behalf and says, oh no, wait, Give me a chance to work with this one. Let's see if I can repurpose the soil, add some nutrients, some natural manure, he says. See if we can grow something here. Give me a year, and then then we'll see. So that's one way to interpret it. Is that God has come, has judged us, We've been lacking. We're about to be cut down, but Jesus intercedes. The problem, though, with that for me is it leaves God in the judgment seat as a harsh and judging God with no apparent love or grace as a part of the formula. And it sets God over against us and actually sets God over against Jesus. And that doesn't seem to make complete sense. So I read it again. I see this part where people are asking questions about someone else who's died. And his answer is, unless you repent. Now remember that repent means to turn around. To turn away from one thing and to turn toward God. To turn away from things that are destructive to turn toward God and let God grow what God wants to grow in your life. So we have to turn around. We have to repent. Jesus says, unless you repent or turn around or orient yourself toward the spiritual, you will all die without bearing fruit. I think it's safe to say we could say spiritual fruit. Perhaps those who have died, died before they were able to bear spiritual fruit. But it seems in the parable, we have a choice. 
So I looked at this again. I thought, what if the man walking into the garden is us? Is you and me? And we have a fig tree or a life that we have come to look at. And we're examining our life. We're walking into the vineyard and examining our life. And when we walk into the vineyard and examine our life, we see no fruit. We look at our own life and we realize that we're not bearing spiritual fruit. We realize that we are lacking. That maybe there is not much evidence that we have grown deep roots into God. And maybe not much evidence that God's life is surging up in us and blooming and flowering and bearing fruit. One of the commentators said, maybe this three years is because typically it takes a fig tree three years to mature. And so the tree's been given time to grow up. So if we look at ourselves and we're mature, we're grown up, we're adults, and yet we look at our life and think, no spiritual fruit. And instead of God giving up on us or judging us, then the parable is suggesting that we have given up on God. That we have given up, believing that God cares about us and is working in our lives to bear fruit. Maybe it's suggesting that we look at our lives, we might find that our actions suggest we're not really oriented toward God. We're not really oriented toward spiritual things or the things of God. Maybe we're oriented in a completely different direction. And in fact, there is no spiritual fruit. If that be the case, then we're the ones who are discouraged, maybe even disgusted with ourselves, frustrated that we're not doing better, that we're not seeing more. And Jesus says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Maybe, he's saying, if you don't turn... If you don't reorient yourself toward God, then of course you will die. You will perish without bearing spiritual fruit. I thought about my own life. A few months ago, I was feeling overrun by worldly task. I was feeling overrun by all the things I was working on. I began to think that maybe I was too focused on the material and the physical things of my life, too focused on worldly things. I began to think I'm neglecting God and I'm neglecting my time with God. And the more I thought about it, the clearer it became to me that I'd moved my focus away and a manner of speaking from my spiritual life and had let all these other things eat up all my time so that I was in a place where I was neglecting my daily devotional time, neglecting my Bible reading. I needed to repent, if you will. I needed to turn back toward God more. I needed to make sure that I was attending to God as the first priority. I needed some spiritual fertilizer. 
I needed someone to cultivate the soil around the roots so some fresh growth could come. I've given my life, I've given my adult life to the United Methodist Church because I thought that was the place where I could help people and give people hope and share the love of God with people and direct them toward God. And yet then I found myself feeling like I had turned in the wrong direction. I wanted to bear spiritual fruit. I wanted to be the blessing that God wanted me to be, to experience the blessings God wants me to experience, to share them with others. And yet I was feeling like I needed to turn back toward God. Maybe you've been there. Or you've looked at your life and felt discouraged. Maybe even disgusted with yourself. That you know things that you thought you would do as a Christian, but you just haven't done. That you verbally said that's who you're going to be, but when you look at your life, that's not who you are. It can happen to any of us. It can happen to all of us. We say that Lent is a season of self-examination and repentance. These 40 days, not counting Sundays, before Easter Sunday is what we call the Lenten season. I read to you a couple of weeks ago just a couple of phrases out of our United Methodist Book of Worship that invite us into this experience, into this season of Lent. I want to read you a, a little fuller part of that invitation. It reads like this. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the early Christians observed with great devotion the days of our Lord's passion and resurrection, and it became the custom of the church that before the Easter celebration there should be a 40-day season of spiritual preparation. I invite you, therefore, it says, in the name of the church, to observe a holy Lent, to use this season as a set-apart time for self-examination and repentance by prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and by reading and meditating on God's holy word. It's a season for us to prepare we're talking about it as if we're on a journey and we're looking for clues about our spiritual life that the Gospels offer to us. We've prepared a little packet for you. I was thinking about that old board game clue where you had to figure out to solve the crime, who the person was, what the place was, what weapon they used. And as I was reading these Gospel passages, thinking there's a person and a place and a weapon a spiritual weapon that the Gospels give us that we could use on our journey to solve some of the dilemmas we experience, to help us investigate our own lives. So we created these little packets in the spirit of the game. They have cards in them. They give you the clues week by week for the sermons. But then on the back, it also tells you about a clue prayer station. The staff have helped me by preparing these wonderful prayer stations 
that help you go a little deeper than we're able to do in our time here, to do a little more self-reflection, and then often to take something with you as a reminder of who you want to be in Christ. If you haven't picked up a packet yet, let me encourage you to do so. They're out on the counters on either side here in the hallways. The prayer stations are in different rooms on this level. They're open all during the week whenever the church is open. But I think it will help you go deeper in your Christian life. I believe it will help you observe a holy Lent to do the self-examination and the repentance so that by the time we get to Easter, you feel that God is close to you, that you felt perhaps as this parable is saying that Jesus is saying to you, let me help. You're not bearing spiritual fruit, but I can help. Let me cultivate your soil. Let me nourish your spirit. Give me a year and see if you're not bearing spiritual fruit. It's a great invitation, Jesus in the guise of the gardener, offering to help us. He says, let me work with you. He tells them a parable. He says there's a man or a person, if you will, in a vineyard with a choice. Amen. Thanks be to God.